connotes tonight, tonight's message is called A Leader's Glory. Week 20, A Leader's Glory. Last week, David brings a fresh praise to an old song. I, we talked about singing it again. He sang the exact same song in his later years. He's probably in his 70s, maybe 80s at this point. He sings a song he wrote as a young man, defeating the armies and, and conquering, uh, uh, getting out of the clutches of, of, of King Saul. And today, as we go into 2 Samuel chapter 23, we see that the very next thing David does after singing that old song is he writes a new one. Because sometimes the wisdom in seeing the new comes from bringing a fresh perspective to seeing the old. Um, I know a lot of times in order for me to get excited for the new, I got to look back at the old. I was taking some time today with the, we had a men's breakfast and a few of us came here afterwards and uh, I was just talking to them about, wow, you know, look at what God's done at Relentless with everyone in this room just in almost six years now. Started with four or five people in the living room and now we're requiring an entire space for our church in the middle of Pooler. Um, I just think God's doing some amazing things. And sometimes you got to look back and remember how good he is so that you can get ready for the new thing. And that's what David was doing. And what David writes is actually going to be his last song. We've only got about three weeks left of this message. And uh, I believe God's got some good things coming for the next series. Y'all want to know what the next series is? All right, come every week and you'll find out. So <laughs> this is actually going to be David's last song. And throughout this entire chapter, I believe it sets the context for everything that's about to happen in 2 Samuel 23. And what this song he writes talks about is a leader's glory. I believe that we miss something about glory. We think glory is only something that God gets. But we have to remember glory is also something that God wants to put on you. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, if we fell short of it, that means at some point God wanted a certain level of glory on his creation. But because we have sinned, we fell short of what God wanted us to have. And what David writes about in this song is the glory that he had as a leader. And I believe something that we all need to hear for 2020 is that everyone in this room is a leader to a degree. We always think of leadership you know, as a leader of a church or a boss at our workplace, but leadership is not just um, someone who has a large following. Everyone's a leader of your own life. You're a leader of your kids. You're a leader of your house. Maybe you're a leader in a church. Maybe you're a leader... Um, at a business or a job, but everyone leads to a degree. And I believe that 2020 for Relentless is going to be a big year of leadership development. Um, I believe that we're going to see a lot of breakthrough of miracles in 2020. But the danger in that is when you start to see the miraculous, if we don't do a good job developing and teaching, the miraculous looks spooky and people run because the church starts to look weird. And most of the time, a charismatic or spirit-filled church, can I just talk real? A spirit-filled church or a charismatic church or whatever you want to call it church, I, I, let's just call it the church. 
when we start seeing the things of God, oftentimes it looks weird because there's no order. And I believe that everything in the Bible is true for today. I don't believe in uh, cessationism, believing that certain gifts stop. Um, the Bible is very clear that the gifts will last until the, the coming of Jesus. Uh, we are supposed to operate in miracles, and we're supposed to have the authority to speak the storms. It says the earth is groaning for the sons of God to take authority again. I was listening to a message today about how that groaning is what we've seen with earthquakes and hurricanes. We always see natural disasters as a sign of the end times. But what if we need to shift our thinking that what natural disasters are, the reason it's a sign of the end is because the earth is literally groaning for the sons of men to start taking their place as the people of authority. Not so much as, oh, earthquake, the end's coming. The earth is literally wanting order. Because when there's no order, there's chaos. Have you ever left three, four-year-olds alone with no adults? <laughs> like, you, you put them in a room where you feel like there's nothing in the room, give them 10 minutes, and you'll see everything that you didn't know existed on the floor. And, <laughs> talk, yeah, talk, and you talk about the earth. That's what the earth is doing, waiting for some order to get put in place. So I believe that this year we have really got to develop everyone in this church as leaders because we're going to see some good stuff, and we got to be ready for it. Amen? So everyone in this room leads to a degree. And if we're going to believe that 2020 is this what we're talking about, We've got to understand where our leader's glory comes from. So I want to start off by defining glory. The Oxford Dictionary defines glory as this. Magnificence, great beauty, a high renown, honor won by notable achievements, to take great pride or pleasure in something, praise, worship, and thanksgiving to a deity. Glory is something we give to God based off of what we see as magnificent, beautiful, and something that deserves honor because of notable achievements, something we give to God because of high renown. The Bible talks about glory like this in Psalm 19.1. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. When it talks about glory here, you ever just look at a sunset or a sunrise and just think, how could people believe that there is no God? Because it says the skies display his craftsmanship. It is great credit and renown for God. So giving God glory is giving him credit for all of this beauty and magnificent and achievements. So many people talk about how the world is so messed up, but maybe we should talk about the glory of what we can't see and start seeing for what it really is. Because God doesn't see this, the, 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 this creation as a failure. He sees it now as redeemed. And for some reason, all we speak is, oh, it's, it's getting worse, and this is that, and it's the, worst, the, the world is getting bad. And, and it, it, Shut up and let, let's start believing how great it actually is. I mean, there's advances in medical. People are surviving a lot longer than years ago. You don't believe me? Take a walk through Savannah Cemetery. Some of the graves aren't marked, and most of them are marked two years and under because of diseases we've gotten control of. Yet people think it's getting worse. Now, I know that there's a lot of disorder and things are getting bad, but let's fix our eyes on what is glory. 
Let's fix our eyes on things above so that we can look down at the issue and not be surrounded by the issue. Is this okay? Isaiah 6, 1 through 3 says this. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And two, they flew. Not exactly the picturesque angel you imagine in what we've come to know angels as. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is, not will be, and not has been, but the whole earth is filled with his glory. God's glory is all around us. The earth is filled with the notable achievements and magnificence and beauty that God is and that God has done. That is why we are called to renew our minds and renew our thinking so that our eyes would be open to that which is already here instead of asking for it to come. The glory of the Lord is here. And I want to really develop everyone in this room this year because one thing that just irks me, y'all remember a couple weeks ago I talked about my attitude? This is one thing that gets me a little bit of attitude. Preachers who use phrases that are completely unbiblical. And one of the biggest ones that I hear is the glory. We're just praying that the glory would come. Or after a powerful service, we leave and go, God's glory showed up. God's glory was here tonight. No, 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 no. God's glory is here, period. But you posture yourself to see which is and then come to agreement with it and praise him and give him more of it. In other words, when we see a display of God's greatness, it's not necessarily that extra glory came in. It's that you postured yourself to see the glory that already is and then you give him more of it. Oh, I give you notable achievement and credit for what I'm seeing is already in the room that which I did not see before because I was fixing my eyes on my problems rather than have the heavenly realm that is around us. Is this making sense? It's not glory's coming. It's glorious here. Look at the glory in this room. We look at people and sometimes we look at problems and they need to get like this and they need to be this and they need to do that. But I'm starting to see that I don't look at people that have issues or shortcomings. I see glory. Because I don't see you as something that's messed up. I, I'm starting to, to see people as God sees them. That is a beautiful creation that he gets credit for and I wish they would start to see themselves as he sees you. Your glory he created you. He, he, he spent six days creating the world, and when he finally created man, that's when he said, that's good. Like nothing was complete until we were. And yet for some reason, all we look at ourselves is, is less than, and Jesus came and said, not only do I want to save you, but you're going to do greater works than I ever did. So we've got to start thinking of glory is not as this you know stuff that blows out of the air vent we gotta you know oh the glory cloud no we're in a glory cloud 
It's not like a, 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 a gray smoke cloud coming around. No, we're in it. We're in the glory of God. But how do you see your environments? And when you start to look at your environments as God looks at, looks at it as, you start to manage it a little different. What do I mean by that? Go home tonight and stop looking at your house as I wish I had this or I wish I had that or I wish it was better. When you go home tonight, walk in your door and realize, glory, my God did this. My God is why I got here and why I'm going there. Look at your kids. Glory. Even in the moments where the last thing you think about is glory. Because when you start to look at things that God did this, you start to manage it so that he's pleased with what you do with it. I don't know if this is making sense or not. I'm going somewhere. Roll with it. And David, in singing his last words, begins to talk about the glory of God in his leadership that he walked in under God's direction his whole life. And in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 23, he starts it off with this. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Opening up the beginning of this last song, David sums up his life in titles and descriptions. And the titles weren't great king or great warrior or, or strong man or, or apostle or prophet or, or, or pastor or, or mighty. Those weren't the titles that he summed up his life with. He summed it up with four things. Number one, he said, David, the son of Jesse. He was re remembering that he came from a humble beginning as a son of a farmer herding sheep. And then he says, David, the man raised up high. Reminding that I am David, the reason why I am a king in this place of the greatest kingdom ever. The reason that I'm, I'm the one that God picked to start the lineage that would bring birth to King Jesus. The reason I'm that great and the reason I get that glory is because I allow God to raise me up instead of something else. And a lot of us will not believe in our greatness because we, we let everything else raise us up. We let the sins of our fathers raise us up. We let our circumstances raise us up. And we don't submit and say, God, you raise me up how you want because no matter what mistakes were made, no matter what pit I'm in, no matter what valley I'm walking through, you are the one who is going to bring me to a glorious place and I'm going to give you the credit of that glory by simply letting you be my father. And when you allow God to be your father and raise you up, just as a father gives a child rules and steps and commands, God does the same for you. He says something like, don't gossip. He says something like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And we look at it as, I can't keep these commandments. And God says, will you let me raise you? Because if you will keep these commandments, you will be raised up high just as my servant David did. 
The third thing David said was David the man anointed by the God of Jacob. He is reminding that he was anointed by God, that in his skills and abilities, God anointed him and allowed what he had to do great things. You know, there's a difference between gifts and anointing. You can come up here as a musician and have a great gift as a musician, but not have one lick of anointing to lead worship. You could have a great gift of organizing things, but have no lick of anointing to organize people in a work of God. There's a difference in a gift and an anointing. David had a gift. He was a great musician and a great songwriter. It wasn't until David began to use his gift to bring praise to God in some fields that David said, now let me anoint that gift and put you on a harp so you can soothe the issues of a king. It was an anointing on a gift. And the fourth thing, David says, I am David, the sweet psalmist. That he says, I'm using my own gifts to express the nature of God and my sweet psalms, my sweet songs, if you read them, it shows you the relationship that David had with his father God. Because a leader's glory is all about what God did. Your glory as a great leader is all about what God did through you and what you allow God to take you into. And a lot of us want to get the idea of the kingdom... And we shout at, at sermons like he is the king of kings and we're kings and we're, we lead and we have the authority and we do this and this and that. But God says your glory is not in the fact that you're a king. Your glory is in the fact that you are a servant king. Your glory is what will you let me do? What will you give me credit for? What would you allow me to raise you up as? Great leaders are humble to their need. What is their need? God raised me up. I need God's anointing, and I'm going to give God all credit. Your gift is not for you. Your gift is to express devotion to him. David had a gift of singing and songwriting. He gave it all to God, and look where it took him. All he had in the beginning was to be a shepherd, and because he was obedient, he became the greatest king. And I believe in 2020, we need a people that are going to start expressing their gifts rather than using their gifts only for personal gain. It seems like these days in society, in church, and whatever it is, we only want to use God's gift if it benefits us. I'll serve in this capacity if I can get this. I'll serve in the church if you'll do this. I'll give you this gift of mine if you can somehow pour back into me. That is not service. That's prostitution. Now, I believe great leaders will bless the people. I, I, I myself, as a leader, when people willingly do things, I usually take people through a process. And when I see that people will serve without any sort of Reaping, I'll bring them to the place where I'm going to sow into them for what they've sowed into me, for what they've sown into this house. Not even me in this house, but what they've done for God. But the problem is, the culture is all about what do I get out of it? That was never in David's mind. 
He never thought, I'm going to become a great musician and sing beautiful songs to you, God, if you'll make me a king, if you'll let me defeat a giant, if you, if you, if you. He never had that. It was simply, God gets it all. And at the end of his life, he looks back and says, the reason I have the glory of a great leader that people are going to be talking about for thousands of years is because I let you and I let you and I let you. And I did for you. A leader's glory is what are you willing to submit at the feet of God. David did not start once he got in the king's court. He started in a field. And we've got a lot of people who want to be in the courts of heaven and the kingdom. But we don't have a lot of people committed in their field. And what we do is we complain about the field we're in, hoping for a new one. When God simply says, I want to bring you into a new level of glory. And in order for me to do that, you've got to let me do some things with your field. You've got to let me do some things with what you consider not a great asset. Because a lot of people, you know, we don't want to necessarily give to God because we think, what do I have to offer? But God's like, that little bit is how I started with David. Well, all I can do is stand outside and wave to people. God's like, I can take that and bring you great glory. But the key to me bringing you glory, God says, is let me redeem you because you've sinned and fallen short of glory and be willing to submit to me in every step of your life, bringing me glory. Y'all quiet. David, David opened his last words by saying this in verses 2 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, The one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is like the light of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. David said, My glory is that God spoke and I listened. He said, my glory of becoming a great leader and a great king is that God showed me what justice was. He says, the one who rules righteously. He said, my glory, the reason I became great is because God spoke and I listened and God showed me what justice was and I brought justice. And then he goes on to describe it. He says, it was so good that it looked like a new day every time justice came without any blocking light, without none of the light was blocked. It was all shining. He says, the reason why I became great is because I simply said, God, what do you want? God, here it is. I brought justice, and every time I obeyed, it was like light shining with no block. I don't know about you, but I would love to see a church, and I would love to see a people. I would love to see family where when people saw you, all they saw was light with no blockage. And he says, the reason I got there is because I listened, and I submitted, and I gave him credit. My glory was all about his glory. And he qualified it all by saying this, my glory, verse 3, is that I fear God. Look at verse 3 again. It says, the God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God. Who rules in the fear of God? 
because great leaders rule understanding that God will not only bring justice through you, but will review your work and keep you accountable on how you rule and what led you to rule the way you did. Everyone in this room is a leader. And everyone in this room is kept accountable for how you lead. How you speak to your wife. How you speak to your husband. How you speak to your kids. How you honor your mother and father. No matter how old you get, that command does not stop. There's a very clear decree. Great leaders come from people who fear God. Fear God in the idea that I revere and respect him so much that I don't want to be apart from any directive. I fear a life outside of step with the Almighty. David says, the reason I became so great. It's interesting, at the end of his life, he's writing a song to proclaim, to tell people this is the key to great leadership. He says, the reason I became so great and the reason I did great things is because it was never about me. It was about my God. The way, think, think about earlier in the story of David. His son rebelled against him and tried to kill him and David loved him so much that he stepped out of the kingdom and said, all right, son, you do your thing. And then eventually his son was taken care of. His David loved his son despite his son not loving him back. Who does that sound like? God loves us so much that despite we sinned and said we don't need you, he said, let me break through the heavens and send you my son. We've got to be those kind of leaders. We've got to be those kind of people who say despite what's done to us, we're going to be godlike. We are going to rule our lives. We're going to rule our businesses. We're going to rule our families. We're going to rule our finances. We're going to rule our giftings. We are going to do all of this under the fear of being apart from God. We want to be with you, God. So how would you have me do it? Matthew 20 says it like this in 25. It says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you... Church, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. He says, in order for you to have the glory of leader, in order for you to have the glory of first, he's not rebuking first. He's not rebuking leader. He's not rebuking having a higher authority. He's rebuking the way you get it. And you can get it in one of two ways. You can lord over people and say, I'm your boss, do what you want, do what I want, or you don't get paid. Son, do what you want because I'm your father. Or do it like Jesus did and become a servant to all. You know what the mark of great fathers are? Who serve their kids. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about this backwards role play of father and son where you simply do everything your son wants. 
I'm talking about being a servant to the fact that your role is no longer to make them obey you in everything you do necessarily. It's giving them commands that help lead them into greatness. Not to make yourself feel better because you can finally boss someone around in your house because you can't do it in your job. I don't know where that came from, but whoever needed that. We've got to become a people where we get the kingdom system. He says it's not bad to be first, but you don't get it by lording over people. You don't get it by flaunting your authority. You don't get it by walking around saying, I'm a pastor, you got to listen to me. I'm a prophet, you better listen to me. I'm an apostle, listen to me. Uh, you know, I'm an evangelist, listen to me. I'm a teacher. No, no, no. He says, don't, don't flaunt your title. Think about David's title, king. Did he mention himself as a king one time yet? No, no, no. He said, I'm a servant. He says, the way you get here, he, David says, the way I got to be the greatest king ever was because I served people. I, I became their servant. I served their needs. And I'm coming to realize at Relentless Church, as we're breaking through and growing, the more growth is coming from me and everyone else realizing that if we would just serve each other, increase will come because that's the kingdom system just being honest with you the man I was four years ago I hated the idea of taking time out of my schedule to be with people hated it because I had this idea that I'm the pastor you only get to talk to me if I set a meeting up with you I'm the pastor you don't get to have my phone number. I'm the, can we be real? We, we use those titles in a wrong way. Jesus says, I'm God, let me wash your feet. We've got it all. This, and this is what David's saying. He's like, you want the glory of being a great leader? Serve the people who are serving you. You want a great company? Serve your employees. You want a great family? Serve your family. If men would start serving their wives and kids rather than lording over them, you wouldn't have an issue of your wives and kids submitting to you in a kingdom fashion. You're welcome, ladies. <laughs> and vice versa. It's not you serve me, it's you serve me while I serve you. It, it, it's, it's when you're out in the streets, it's, this is a serving opportunity. My glory is coming from serving. Every great leader I know have great teams. Every great boss I know in the secular world, the greatest work environments come not necessarily from the most money being made, but great teams. There's um, a few years ago, there was like the top 10 businesses in the world in Forbes magazine, and like number two or three was uh, a church called Elevation in North Carolina. You want to know why? It wasn't because they were pulling in the best money. It's everyone wanted to work there because it was the best working environment. Are, are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Servant leadership. You know, David looks back at his life giving God glory for everything that he became. And what's funny 
is you have David's reign, and then if you ever read about it, you have the next king's reign, which is his son, Solomon. You've got David's reign. You've got Solomon's reign. Let's think about David's reign for a minute, because we've been talking about how he's a great leader and getting all this glory, but let's think about it. Scandals, family crisis, rebellion, civil war, and famine. Now, his son Solomon, his reign was peace, prosperity, prominence, and glory. Yet, the Bible spends more time talking about David's reign and hardly ever mentions Solomon's. David's reign was full of pitfalls, full of scandal, full of mess up. Solomon was increase, 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 increase. And, and, and matter of fact, when it mentions Solomon's reign, look how Matthew chapter 6 mentions it in verse 28. It says, why worry about your clothing? See, that's, that's my philosophy. <laughs> why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they are. Solomon had glory, had notoriety, had magnificence, had accomplishment, but it says his glory was not even as beautiful as the lilies in the field. So if you have that truth, you have this question. What makes David's reign so much more beautiful in his glory with all of his mess-ups than Solomon's reign and all of his prosperity? It's not how it looks. It's how one was surrendered to relationship. Because in the later years, David praised God and Solomon forsook him. Don't be deceived by the riches of this world. Because what happens is when you become all about the riches, you think that that glory is what looks beautiful to God. God does not look at a millionaire as beautiful glory. It is glory because it's accomplishment. But what makes it beautiful is where their heart is surrendered. So in comparison, you can have a millionaire not surrender to God and a homeless man totally surrendered. And God says, I like that man's clothes. But there's a caveat to it. Because God wants you to be productive and produce fruit. You see, the call is not to speak against riches. The call is not to speak against increase. It's in the pursuit of glory. Where is your heart surrendered in the process? Because we always want to preach this gospel that God was against rich people. He wasn't against rich people. What he preached against was where their heart was and their pursuit was. Because their pursuit had nothing to do with him. Like, I mean, let's get real. The Christian faith, for the most part, and especially in the South, is all about being mad at people who have a lot of resource because we don't. And then we say, God, bless me. God has nothing against people with resource. 
Whether you have it or not, he has one call. I want you to be productive. I want to bring glory on you. But while it's happening, I want one thing. Your glory should be submitted to me. Your heart should be surrendered to me. And no matter how much glory you get or how little you get, serve everybody. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 5 through 7, it goes on. He says, is it not my family God has chosen? He has made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. Let me say that again. His agreement, his covenant is arranged and guaranteed in every, every detail. He will ensure my safety and success, but the godless are like thorns to be thrown away. They tear the hand that touches them. One must use iron tools to chop them down. They will be totally consumed by fire. Look at what David says. He's like, God chose my family. His family had tons of flaws. But he said, what does that matter? What qualified me was not how perfect we were. It was simply God chose us. Stop exalting your own issues above God's decision to choose you. I'm going to say it again. Stop exalting your issues above God's decision to choose you. Ephesians 1, 4 says it like this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and what? Chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. He chose you to be holy and without fault. That's why when he sent Jesus, it says you were made unto righteousness. You were made to be in right standing because he redeemed what he chose you to be. John 15, 16 says it like this. You didn't choose me. God says, I chose you. And I appointed you to be homeless and have nothing. No. I appointed you to go and produce. Even if you give it up and surrender, it's to go and produce. Think about the disciples. Leave everything you behind, leave everything behind, leave your nets, leave your careers, and follow me. Why? Because he was going to have them produce something. Build the church. Go and produce. Keep it up there. Lasting fruit. Do you spend all your energy trying to produce fruit that will not matter? Or do you spend it producing fruit that will last? And God says, if you will spend all of your time producing fruit that will last, I will bring you into a leader's glory. David spent all his time writing songs, praising, leading, listening, obeying. And he said, because you spent all your time producing lasting fruit that will last to where I could bring my son through your kingly lineage, I'm going to make you a great leader. Your name will be spoke of and your throne and your dynasty will never end, David. So that my father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Go produce lasting fruit so that you will get whatever you ask for using my name. God chose you. 
Maybe the reason you aren't getting what you asked for is because you have not accepted the glory of God chose me. And it's time to start planting in your current field and start producing. Because we say, God, give me, but God's like, I haven't seen any fruit from you. You haven't led one person to me. You haven't discipled anyone. You're, you're, not, you're not even representing me in your home. You're not representing me at work. You're not representing me in your treasure. I don't know you. Remember what the scripture says? Many will call on his name, but he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. How does he know you? Accepting the fact that you're chosen and start producing fruit. If you're not producing fruit that will last, how can he say he ever knew you to do anything or be anything? This is challenging. But what better way to go into a new year? Let's set the bar high. Let's produce for the God, for the God that we claim is the only God. Let's go. Let's do something. Let's build great leaders. Let's serve. A leader's glory is simply that God chose you. You've got to accept that call and walk in it and start producing and reigning. David says, God made an everlasting covenant with me. David, looking back, says this. That covenant was not dependent upon my perfection. It was dependent upon my yes. And your yes is your obedience. Because the Bible says the godless who don't believe are those who disobey. How much you actually believe in your God is told by how much you actually obey him. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect to be saved. That's not what David's saying. He's saying, my glory had nothing to do with perfection. It was simply in my obedience. You're going to be imperfect. You're going to fall. But at some point, your life has to shift the balance. David had a few falls, more than a few falls. But he was redeemed to a place where all he did was produced as a servant king. At some point, you cannot rest in this false grace message of it's okay because God loves you. No, God redeemed you and he loved you so that you would become more and produce fruit that would last. We can't be this casual body of believers who accept this idea that Jesus died for me so I can live like hell on earth. That's not why he died for you. He did not die for you so that you could keep sinning and be comforted by the fact that he died on the cross. That's not why he did it. He did it to say, realize this truth, you're chosen. Now accept that and start doing something with it. I've cleaned you, I've redeemed you, I've chose you. Now can you please start repping me? Is this okay? Hmm. A leader's glory is in how God raises you up. A leader's glory is in how God defines you. A leader's glory is in your personal relationship with God. And a leader's glory is in how you live a life of obedience. And then look at what David says next. I'm, I'm get, is this, are y'all ready to go or are y'all okay? Okay. 
In verse 8, this is 32 verses, just letting y'all know. I'm going to go through it quick, though. Look at verses 8 through 12. After he sings this song of look at my glory, these are the names of David's mightiest warriors. Look at what he writes about. He says, these are my titles. This is who I am. This is how I got there. Now let me tell you about my mightiest warriors. The first was Jashubim, the Hakmonite, who was leader of the three. The three mightiest warriors among David's men. He, used, he once used a spear to kill 800 warriors in a single battle. Talk about a heavy load. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoah. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled, he killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift the sword. That's a, that's a lot of bloodshed. And the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Next in rank was, in rank was Shammah, son of Agi from Hiar. One time, the Philistines gathered at Lehi, attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field, beat back the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. He starts talking about his three best leaders because a leader's glory is nothing without a good team. And a team is nothing without their leader. David was a leader, but a leader is nothing without followers. And when a leader leads correctly, the followers will be led to their own personal victories and greatness and glory. Because let me, let me tell you about these three mighty men. We've been doing this series a long time, so sometimes we need a little bit of a, a trip down memory lane. There was a time where David was with 400 dudes in this cave of Adullam when he was running from King Saul. And the Bible described these men in that cave. It says that they were in debt, they were distressed, and they were discontented with life. Has anyone been there? And now at the end of his life, David is describing the same in-debt, discontented, distressed men as mighty warriors who had great victories in battle. You want to know why they got glory? Why they were mentioned in the Bible as the three greatest warriors? Because the great leader David wanted one thing for them. I'm going to lead you out of your distress. I'm going to lead you out of your discontentment. I'm going to lead you out of your debt. And by the time I'm done with you, the only thing people will know you as is mighty. My heart for you as your pastor is in the time of this church, people will not look at you as pathetic. People will not look at you as weak. <clears throat> people will not look at you as something passed over. Something will, people will not look at you as those measly Christians who don't know a thing. But people will look at you as mighty, strong, wise men and women of God. Who when people ask you questions, you no longer have to say, listen to the pastor's sermon. You can answer on the spot. Who will be a people who know how to handle the tough things. 
People who know how to handle their battles without ever having to call on a pastoral leader because the leader's glory is that he led you into your own. That's what David did. A leader's glory is leading his people into their own. In 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, it says this, Now a word to you who are elders in the churches, and that word is overseers, pastors, anyone who leads in the authority of the church. I too am an elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ. I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over, over it willingly and not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. Lead them by your own good example. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says, leaders, I will crown you with glory if you will simply serve the people you're leading. What if we all took that on? What if we all took on that challenge of, you know what? This is no longer about what I get out of it. This is about me leading the people in my circles to the greatness and victory. You can't go into work Monday and start fights and be mad because you don't like the people you work with. Because I can imagine that in David's lifetime, he got pretty mad at some of the people in his army. One of his last generals was one who rebelled against him trying to kill him. Everything is a ministry field. You know where I believe the church of Savannah has lost it? We make ministry opportunities events. We're going to minister here at this time. And it's like, are you even worthy to minister that if you can't even get along with a coworker? who is the one you're called to sow into. You're there for a reason. God directs the steps of man. Yeah, we don't like to hear that. That's tough. But I'm trying to lead you into glory. That's what Jesus is doing. Your glory is not based on what you become. What you become is based off of how you lead and serve those around you. And then David talks about these guys he led at that cave of Adullam. He says in verse 13, I'm getting close. Once during the harvest when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. The three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and the Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. You mean to tell you what David's doing? David's taking a trip down memory, memory lane. You ever have one of those nostalgic moments? where you th Bethlehem is where David grew up as a kid. So in one of his worst times, he was thinking, oh, how good it would be to go back. You ever have one of those moments when times were tough? Man, I wish I could just go back and do this all over again. Man, I wish I could be a kid again. 
Man, I wish I could have that one more time. Man, I wish I could do a replay. Man, I wish I, this is what David's doing. He's like, man, I wish I could just go back to Bethlehem and drink some water. I don't want to be in this cave. People trying to kill me. All I'm trying to do is play a flipping harp. So his men hear this. Verse 15, David remarked longingly to his men, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the Cate in Bethlehem. 16, so the three broke through Philistine lines, got some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. Next time y'all hear me saying something, I expect the same out of you. <laughs> We're getting there. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David didn't drink it. And these are examples of the exploits of the three. Without a command or request, these three immediately broke through enemy lines, risking their life to get a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. They put their life on the line to get that water. And he was so touched by their sacrifice that he took what he most desired and said, Lord, here it is. The only way to honor the sacrifice of his team was to sacrifice what he most wanted. And saw what they got for him as precious as the blood that risked it. And he considered what they got, that water, equally as important as their blood. God, they serve me. I don't view it as an offering for me or a service to me. I look at this as valuable. So God, I'm not going to take it for myself. I give it to you. And I think so many times the fall of leaders in your home, in your house, in churches, is we take the sacrifice of people and drink of it for ourselves. We take their obedience and give it to ourselves. That's why most churches in America, 80% of tithes and offerings go to staff. Can I just give you a little bit of a praise report? In 2019, every staff member paid, including me, was only 32% of the budget. I believe in that. I don't want to take your sacrifice of the tithe and use it to put gas in my truck. That's why I work other jobs. I'm not here to get your money. I'm here to lead you into glory and do with what God wants for this house. David says, I'm not going to drink this for me. I'm going to pour it out for you. And in fact, Philippians 2 says it like this in verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain, that my work was not useless. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. There's a song that we're going to be singing soon in this church, and the chorus goes like this For you, I pour it out. 
for you I pour it out. Praise like oil. Look what David did. I want, I want the water. And then they got it. And he said, for you, God, I pour it out. Everything we should do should be a drink offering to the Lord. A leader's glory comes from, for you, I pour it out. For you, I pour it out. I don't pastor so people can say good sermon. I pastor so I can say, God, I taught what you wanted. For you, I pour it out. For you, I pour it out. You don't, you don't get up here to play so that people can say you're a great player. It's I have a talent. For you, I pour it out. God, you haven't given me these kids so that I can act a certain way to get whatever I want. It's God, you gave me these kids so I will raise them unto you. For you, I pour it out. God, you didn't give me these people in this church to build a great name for Kyle Garrison and become a book author and a world-renowned speaker who gets all these gigs so I can fill my pocket. No, it's God, you gave me these people, so I will serve them for you. I pour it out. It's not about building ourselves. God says your glory will come from a posture of simply pouring it out. And if you read the rest of the chapter, verses 18 through 39, it lists many, 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 many more leaders in this battalion. All of these men were the foundation of the greatness of David's reign. They didn't begin as great, but they finished as great. God used David's leadership to transform people. David's glory, more than all of his victories, is attributed to a man who was surrendered to God and influencing his life and character on the men closest to him. And I'll close with this, Romans 12.1. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. He let, let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. A leader's glory is a life of service, surrender, and sacrifice. A leader's glory is God's glory. Amen? Let's stand.